This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. I tell you what, you know, before there was Zoom, uh, there was radio, and radio was a way to, to talk to people and listen to people through social distancing. So, you know, we're, 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 we're like you said last week, we're ahead of the curve. That's right. And we are practicing social distancing. I am in Jackson at the MPB studios. Professor Gershon is calling us from our studio at the University of Mississippi School of Law, known as the rare books section of the law library. And we're welcoming our guest, attorney Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm in Jackson. And we're talking to him over audio Skype. Thank you, Francis, for being uh, with us today. Hey, good morning. Thank you all. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's great to have you. And for those of you who don't know, Francis has been a frequent guest on our show and uh, was a, uh, a deputy sheriff in Lauderdale County before uh, becoming a lawyer um, and has a broad practice area. And we, we're always happy to welcome here, him here. And Francis, could you tell us a little bit, remind us a little bit about your background and your areas of practice? Sure, sure. As you said, I'll, I guess my former life, I will say I was a deputy sheriff in Lauderdale County where I grew up. Uh, and around 2007, I decided to change careers, uh, try law school out. And before I knew what was going on, I was in my second year. So it was too late to turn around. I went forward, graduated in 2011. And I've been practicing as a solo practitioner ever since. Well, I mean, it's, you know, these are unusual times. You probably didn't expect uh, this situation when you were in law school, none of our students certainly uh, are expecting this now. We're all trying to, to deal with it. But how, how has your practice been affected by the pandemic? It's, it's been affected, I think, like every everything has. Uh, not the same way, but definitely affected. Uh, probably the biggest difference that I have, Professor Gershon, is, is working from home primarily. I've been to the office, I think, twice maybe, and it was on weekends when nobody was there since uh, this whole thing started. And uh, I guess fortunately with the technology we have in 2020, it is possible to continue practicing from home uh, once you get set up at home. That was something that had to happen at our house. Uh, I do feel very blessed that we have a room that my husband, he works from home uh, 40 hours a week, but he's able to close off his doors, close off the dogs. <laughs> he still has a little bit of uh, sunshine that he can he can get. But, uh, you know, it's it's. It's interesting, you know, how the economy is going. I think, you know, uh, maybe Office Depot or some of these office supply people have, you know, outfitted people's home offices. And, you know, I I guess another show, Professor Gershon, would be uh, what's tax deductible, what portion of your home can be tax deductible as an office. Oh, yeah. Well, we could could certainly do that sometime. And uh, there are a lot of people using uh, 
their homes as offices now in ways they hadn't done before. But, uh, you know, this is we're changing the way we think. I certainly think, you know, the use of technology is not going away. Um, but, you know, so, Francis, when you meet with clients, how, how do you manage that now? I mean, because I know you have clients who, who need legal support uh, during this time. That doesn't go away. Right. I'm kind of in a unique position in the office I'm in. I share space with uh, the firm of Danks, Miller, and Corey in Jackson. And to kind of give a parallel with how a larger office is going, they are still open. Uh, and, of course, I meet clients there when I need to, which is rare. But they still have uh, full staff going, and they do take precautions. They have people, you know, that are, are screened for temperature when they come in. They, they make sure they've not knowingly been exposed best they can tell and uh, the office is set up where you can have the six foot rule in the conference room and also I think it's working out fairly well there what I do if I don't have to meet face to face is largely what I'm doing now telephone um, there are a lot of different avenues I guess of, of communication this day and time but this is the one I think with the practice of law I'm most comfortable with at this point I know Zoom is out there that's been talked about and Zoom's great I've actually had one conference, uh, several attorneys and a judge had a conference on Zoom uh, in Hines County, and she ran it, the judge ran it super well. It worked out really, really well. But as far as meeting with clients, I'm a little concerned with the, the client confidentiality in that regard. I'm not personally familiar enough with Zoom, even though we did have a uh, teleconference kind of explaining it uh, last Friday, but I'm still too far behind personally to use Zoom, so primarily over the telephone. Professor Gershon, I don't want to uh, put you as old school, but as the as the professor, um, uh, Francis Springer did mention uh, doing research o- online. Uh, how back in the olden days, how did attorneys do research? Well, they had to use books and, and libraries, but you know, really, the truth is, um, I think, especially in my area, tax law, which changes so much. Digital digital information is so much easier to access because it's you can get the changes instantly. It used to be before all this, we someone would have to come to the law library and put in these loose leaves every week. They'd have to go through like these loose leaf binders and put the put new pages in uh, in order to do the research. So I I am a big believer uh, in this technology. When I started out, Liz, we had. Uh, uh, to do wills on typewriters. Uh, people don't even know what typewriters are anymore. But wow. um, So when I had to make a change, you know, I had to go tell my assistant, because I, I, I don't type that fast, so I had to go tell my assistant, uh, well, you know what, the client wants to change these three pages. Well, that meant that my assistant had to retype the whole will. Um, and now, you know, with, I remember we got dedicated word processors, and we were so excited. And, yeah, so things have changed a lot, and I'm, I'm a big fan of how much technology helps lawyers and, and helps us get to the get to helping our clients really and i think you know i think francis would agree that probably when you were in law school you probably didn't they probably made you learn some books but mainly you were doing research online i guess i was kind of in the transition phase they uh, they gave us access obviously to the two major uh, law law research companies so we got spoiled on that but we also had to do some in the library and i, I know exactly what you mean about the tax code i didn't say where i went to law school it was mississippi college here in jackson but i worked in the library and that was one of the assignments i had was to update the tax code and like you said weekly it could come out with 100 200 pages it was just amazing Oh, but it's much, much easier now that it's online. So, Francis, uh, walk us through, if you needed to do some research, uh, how do you do that online now? 
Uh, like I was saying earlier, uh, there are two major, I guess I would say the biggest research companies, LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters Westlaw. Uh, both of those offer subscriptions in different areas, different, um, I guess, it's kind of a la carte what you need for your firm. That's primarily what I do is I use uh, those and I can get access to all of Mississippi law, all case law, uh, just about any law in the United States, state and federal that I need. Uh, so it's just, and, and really, I guess I could say just about the whole library at Mississippi College, short of, of special publications and books like that, but all the, the legal statutes and case law is now available online. So it's just a, an amazing, as um, all technology is, it's just amazing how it's taken this practice from from the days of doing the. And I, I guess you would say the. Go ahead, the research, no, you know, by hand. No, I'm sorry. To, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I was just I was just saying. Uh, Liz mentioned that I'm I'm in the rare books room of the uh, University of Mississippi School of Law Library, and I, and I joke around and say it's actually the rarely used books room. You know, because I think our students now use our library for collaborative space, for uh, quiet study. Um, you don't see faculty really coming here very much to, to do research. In fact, even the U.S. Supreme Court law law library, uh, the judges will tell you that they don't really. Uh, they don't really use the library that much, and neither do their clerks because they do most most of their work online. Uh, and so, in fact, uh, your, your former dean, Jim Rosenblatt, and I were both at the Supreme Court at the same time uh, with uh, alums being sworn in. And so we got a, we got a nice tour of, of the building. But um, so, I mean, are you limiting the kind of people that you, you, you will meet? Because uh, some people have emergency situations that have to be dealt with, just like doctors have that. Are you trying to uh, push off some of, some of your clients who may not have real pressing matters? Is that something the lawyers are doing? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I know I am. If it's something that can wait, um, we try to wait. The courts right now are, are basically blazing trails like everybody else. It's very difficult for them because we do have a constitutional right in Mississippi to access to the courts. And our Supreme Court has entertained the idea and been asked for a couple of times to close the courts temporarily. And uh, I think all nine justices have agreed that that cannot be done. So that it, it's difficult to keep the offices open. So anything we can hold off filing, because there, there are virtually no hearings anyway. Now, emergencies, the judges can't do that. There have been exceptions made to some of the rules that make it easier to do that uh, telephonically and by teleconference. And the clerk's offices are open, so if something has to be filed, we can get in and get that filed. Uh, the clerks are doing the best job they can, working with the sheriffs to keep the courthouse buildings open and safe. Uh, so it's been a, a lot of work for a lot of people, but it's working well. And those emergency things, uh, temporary orders, things like that, can be filed. Unfortunately, Mississippi State Court, they have to be filed in person conventionally. Uh, federal court can be filed online. And uh, those two different things there have uh, probably brought out a lot of interest in the electronic filing, I think, in the state system. Uh, so... In answer to your question, emergency things can be done if they need to be, but we try to put off anything else we can. Okay, we're going to go around the room. 
my face mask that I have if I go out to Kroger, my sister-in-law made and mailed to us. It has uh, blue and white checks on one side and black and white puppy dog paw marks on the outside. Professor Gershon, what kind of uh, face mask have you donned to visit the outside world? Well, actually, it was a face mask I had uh, from Home Depot that I got uh, a couple years ago to change the air filters in my house because I realized every time I changed the filters monthly uh, for my air conditioning system, I was breathing in all the dust that the, the filter had caught. So I decided to get a couple of uh, those masks, and I'm fortunate to have that because I was already ready-made. And Attorney Francis Springer, do you have a go-to mask that you wear to visit the outside world? I do, but it's just basically a white hospital-type mask. It's nothing fancy or, or anything like that. But that's probably a good business for someone to, to jump on right now is making some designer masks because I think that's – Probably going to be with us for a little while. Well, we'll get some with uh, uh, Justice Scales or maybe, uh, uh, what is it, the the Land Shark or, uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, what's Mississippi College's? Uh, the Choctaws. Um, the Choctaws. Okay. <laughs> We're going to continue our discussion with attorney Francis Springer in just a bit. What about jury duty? Could you get a summons for jury duty during our safer at home period? Find out next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is In Legal Terms. Not everybody has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. But it's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. This morning, we're talking about Mississippi's legal system during our COVID-19 pandemic. Our guest is attorney Francis Springer. Uh, Francis, what about uh, jury duty? Are the courts open that still make use of juries? Not that I'm aware of, not any that I know of are open. That's one of the issues uh, that was brought up by a judge not long ago is she said she didn't know if she would be able to set a, a jury any time this year. And I know she's just projecting, but that's quite possible because to pull in a jury, you have to pull in 80-some-odd people normally from the community, and there's no way that I know of to socially distance that many people. 
And while the Supreme Court's tried to, to get courts to limit those numbers, it's basically taken all the jury trials out of out of whack for now, I guess we could say. I know of one judge in North Mississippi that tried to uh, summon a jury for the middle of this month, and uh, there was a lot of calls in that people just said they couldn't come and they were scared to come, so I don't think that went on. So that's an issue that the, uh, I guess time will tell, and we'll see how the courts handle that. But you, you, I don't think you can do a jury by video. I just don't think that would even feasibly be a good idea. I definitely think it would be a violation of someone's rights because that jury has to see the testimony of the people that are there and, and judge that testimony is credible or not. And I just don't think that can be done over video. Right. I think, you know, you're, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you mentioned earlier, though, the, the filing and the federal courts have, have actually gone to uh, electronic filing for, for years now. Do you think this will push the Mississippi Supreme Court to, to I mean, courts, not Supreme Court, courts to accept uh, uh, more electronic filing? Uh, it makes a lot of sense in some ways under in, in these times. You can do it securely. I, I hope so. And I'm really surprised that, that the courts have not jumped on that more so than they have. I know, uh, I guess about the time I was in law school, Madison County, I think, had gotten the first Mississippi electronic court system up and running. Arthur Johnson, who's now the uh, clerk of the United States District Court here in Jackson, and it's progressed widely. There, there mainly chancery matters on that, but there are some courts that have criminal matters on their will, and it's really, really efficient. And because people may not understand, but once an attorney files a pleading, it has to go to the other attorneys in the case. Well, that's automatic by email. Uh, so it makes it a whole lot more efficient. And if cases can be filed that way as well, it uh, would help the clerks out, I think, and definitely the attorneys. Well, I certainly, when I when I practiced, I practiced in Atlanta. And uh, Atlanta, at that time, I mean, it's even more counties are considered metro Atlanta now. But I would have clients who uh, were in DeKalb County, for example. Well, that You have to go to the county seat to file there that's Decatur or you'd have to go to Lawrenceville to file in Gwinnett County so all of a sudden you know you're you're on the road all the time just you know filing cases uh, for clients who are just in the same metro area and it just would be it would have been so nice back then so I I think really it would save a lot of time uh, for the attorneys and be so efficient so I do hope that's coming and I'm glad the federal courts went to to that system but you know you you um, go ahead I'm sorry you, no, no, go ahead. I just agree with you. That's it's just much better. Be much better. But you, you know, you, you, you represent uh, criminal clients, uh, people who are accused uh, and their criminal defendants, and they have constitutional rights. So how how are their rights protected, Francis? During this this time, when uh, it's hard for them to get you know in, in front of a court. It's definitely difficult. There are some counties that have pretty good video hearings that are set up. However, the accused does have the right to have the attorney present with the accused, not present by video under the normal situation. That is one thing that the Supreme Court has temporarily suspended just because of distancing concerns is the attorney doesn't have to be present with the uh, defendant or the accused in, in the hearing. And, of course, this is a procedural-type hearing. It's not a dispositive. It's not a guilty or innocent yet. 
and uh, most of those courts are not doing anything right now. However, some of the municipal courts I've seen, the justice courts are coming back to have, or at least try to open this, this month and have some trials because the backlogs are getting there. The police are still making arrests, you know, because that has to go on. So they do have to have due process rights. One other thing that has changed that I'm aware of is the way that the courts monitor who is in jail. Uh, for many years, that was a serious problem across Mississippi with some accused people sitting in jail for over a year without any type of due process. And the uh, Supreme Court established our rules that made sure that was checked regularly. Well, now it's checked a little more regularly because they're trying to release who they can, somebody that's not a threat, just to keep the numbers down in the jails, to hopefully keep from spreading COVID through there is what I think that is. Well, that makes sense. And there are also uh, speedy trial issues as well. You know, we, we talk about a, you know giving somebody due process, and part of that includes, you know, we don't just keep them. In, in jail for a long time, so I'm glad you mentioned mentioned that. But uh, so, um, but I mean, I just think this is such a it's a, fascinating for our legal system, and, and you know, as well as our, our healthcare system, uh, to see how we how we evolve in this situation. We hope that it, it will be really interesting to see how. I, th- I think we'll see some some major electronic changes. Uh, at least I hope. And and that goes along, you know, I talk about some of the courts not being on NBC. Well, some of these areas don't have the greatest Internet system to begin with. Uh, so that's something that's going to have to be, I think, increased uh, just for for people. I mean, the Internet's now a necessity the way I see it. And uh, the courts as well. So, you know, if we can make some movement in that because of COVID, maybe that's something that uh, good will come out of that. But as far as electronic, it's really limited when it comes to a trial. Uh, evidence and all that is great. You could put it on there, but we still have to have that presence. We have to have everybody together studying the same thing. So that's going to be something I don't think ever goes into electronic. Uh, folks, I don't take the newspaper anymore. That you know used to be a, a pleasure. I didn't I don't get a paper paper anymore. Sometimes I look at it online. Um, the ones I've looked at online don't really have that small town feel. But I was looking around and uh, saw some of the Natchez Democrat, and was reminded that they have a courthouse records column, and the in you know. In April, it listed who was getting married and who was filing for divorce and who had been arrested. So, you know, some of our legal proceedings are still going on. So, uh, Francis, are folks still able to apply for divorces and marriage licenses? Oh, yes, definitely. Like I said, the clerk's offices are still open. And uh, one thing about divorce, depending on the situation, if, if it's what's called an irreconcilable differences divorce, where there's really no challenge to the divorce or to the property settlement or uh, child custody issues, those can largely be handled electronically. Uh, I know of, of some judges that, that want testimony before they'll, they'll rule on the divorce, and, and that's fine, and I understand that. But there are some judges that will take the pleadings. Both parties sign the agreements. They're notarized, they're officially just like testifying at that time. And those can be handled electronically. And the law says it has to be sitting for 60 days. So if you filed, say, back in January, 
and the 60 days runs in March or, or, or however in April where you were slowed down, uh, you can still get that done if the judge can get the paperwork and it gets added to the court. So there are a lot of things that can keep going uh, uninterrupted, but most of them are procedural matters like that. Uh, not many hearings, although the chancellors are trying their best to get back up and running. I know Judge Brewer uh, in Madison County is going to try to get her court running again next week. And I know uh, I think the Meridian Municipal Court is trying the same thing. So progress is being made. It's just going to be a big learning curve. What's so interesting, I mean, uh, but, but I guess when the, you mentioned uh, Meridian, for example, is going to open on Monday, May 11th, uh, and that's the municipal court. So, uh, I mean, will social distancing still be required there? Will there be those types of restrictions? From what I understand, there will be. They're going to limit the number of people in the room, uh, which is an interesting aspect because you do have a right to a public trial. Uh, and I, I was researching some of that, and actually the courts have said that, you know, public is not necessarily open to everybody, but it's open to certain people. So as long as, as it's open and not just a private trial, that can go on. So I think what Meridian is doing, from what I understand, is they're limiting the number of people into the courtroom. Uh, they're also taking the CDC guidelines and screening people as they come in. Uh, so it's just going to be a, a time of... I hate to say it, but probably some trial and error just to see how it works out. And it might it might be that you know one way to assure a public trial without letting people in would be to broadcast the the cases. I know some some states already do that have you know just broadcast you know a case. I think it would be good for the public to see how cases work. Um, they're not like TV, as you know, and so but yeah, so it, it it's going to be interesting. I mean, I. I um, I, I, when is your first hearing set, uh, the first case that you have uh, for, set for a hearing or for trial? The, the soonest one I have is uh, June 1st, and that's in uh, northwest Mississippi. And we will uh, we'll see how that goes. I, I'm assuming with everything I'm seeing, we'll probably be able to do that. I'm sure we'll have social distancing ongoing. Uh, but June 1st is the soonest I have. And like I say, I know of a couple that are starting before then. Um, and, and hopefully the numbers will go down and make it where we can all get around and do what we can. But I think safety still has to come first. We're talking with Francis Springer about how Mississippi's legal system is operating during our pandemic. Uh, Francis, we're gonna I got a comment for you. Uh, how secure are your conversations with lawyers? We're gonna talk about that. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Money. 
You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you will subscribe to our podcast. There's so many different podcasting platforms, but I'm liking Podcast Addict. I downloaded it to my phone. I touched the plus, and it takes me to the page to search for podcasts by name. So I typed in in legal terms in the search area it brings up in legal terms and then i'm able to touch a photo then subscribe so that i'm notified when any new episodes are loaded up this morning we're talking about how mississippi's legal community is working in this coronavirus age with our guest attorney francis springer you know francis um mpb has entered a a whole new world Uh, usually we've had you here in the studio but we're practicing social distancing. A lot of times our hosts are somewhere else. Our experts are somewhere else. So we're using phone. Skype has been what we've used before. We've also used Zoom. But paying attention to some of the news, uh, this is a reminder, folks, from me to you. If you're using the audio or video sharing company Zoom, don't forget to enable the security settings. Calls that are not set to private or password protected can be accessed by anyone who inputs the 9 to 11 digit meeting code. And I guess the our math guy could tell us the probably not the probability of guessing a nine digit code. But if there are some bored people out there, I'm sure you, you could just keep generating nine or 11 digit codes to try to figure out if there's a Zoom meeting going on that you could be a part of. But if you do need your Zoom to be private, uh, you do need to set your calls to uh, private or password protected. And, you know, that's so important, Liz, because one of the things we're going to talk with Francis about is confidentiality and how, uh, you know, because that's one of the strongest duties a lawyer has is to keep their communications with their clients confidential. So, Francis, how, what steps, extra steps do lawyers have to take now that uh, we're doing things remotely? That's a very, very good question, and it's been an issue, I think, that has, has arisen before uh, we've had COVID-19 to deal with, because a lot of attorneys are using the cloud to store documents and things that makes it so much more simple. Uh, just to, to go on that for a moment, what the attorney has to be careful of is that no one can access any of the files that they're storing. Uh, there's definitely confidential issues there. And I went to use one of the large cloud storage devices, and I was reading the terms of service. And in there, any employee of that industry or, or that business can access any of your files at any time. So I said, no, we can't do that one. Unfortunately, I was able to find another one that is encrypted. And it's so good if you forget your password, you're, you're out of it because they, they can't reset your password. Uh, so I feel pretty comfortable with the one I'm using. Uh, as far as communication, uh, like Liz was saying, you have to be careful if you're doing Zoom or something like that because someone can get into it. And um, like I said, I don't use Zoom much, but from what I got out of our, our uh, in-service kind of CLE we had on Zoom is that meeting number, if somebody gets it, if you use that same meeting number again, it's likely somebody can come back in. another meeting so that's one of the things i've got to figure out before i go there 
But the attorney must take care to ensure that nobody but the client is accessing files, and especially in communication and talking back and forth. If there's somebody else that's getting into that conversation, you lose that attorney-client privilege. So you have to take all the precautions you can to make sure it's confidential. Plus, you want your client to be able to tell you anything because that's the only way you can give them good representation. And uh, without that trust there, you may not get the information you need to adequately represent them. Francis, you instill confidence to me that you said you read the terms of service. I'm very proud of you for that. We should, well, we should I don't want to use the, the name of the company, but it was uh, it was shocking to me. Well, it's, you know, I think I think we assume that electronic media is just is private, and I'm, I'm glad you checked into that and, and made that point because, especially for someone like a lawyer who's got a fiduciary duty to keep the, the client confidence, um, it's very important that we that we understand. You know, that means taking reasonable measures, as you mentioned. You know, um, you know, there even things like inadvertent uh, sending somebody an email. Uh, I accidentally sent my brother an email yesterday when I meant to send my daughter that email. Uh, you know, if I'd been dealing with client confidential information, that would be problematic. So, uh, it, you know, being in the electronic uh, world makes it uh, even more important that lawyers are diligent uh, about their clients' information. I mean, can I ask about this too, Francis? I mean, the, the, another uh, key uh, duty that we have to our clients is loyalty and to avoid conflicts of interest with them. Has it become harder to, to do a conflicts check uh, when you're dealing with client remotely than it was when you were in the office regularly? It's not for me because um, I, I use a, another uh, cloud-based case management program that has a list of, of all clients that I've ever that I currently represent or have ever represented. Uh, so that's the same thing I would run someone through that was coming to me for the first time as best I can to check and see if we've ever had a representation or get the name of somebody that may be an adverse party to this person that's seeking representation, make sure I've not represented them in anything that would create a conflict. So that's another very good uh, useful tool that's come along with the electronic age is it's so much easier to run a conflict check based on, on name than it was in the old days when you had to go by memory and go through the file and, and hope you were right. So that hasn't changed for me that much. Probably, probably the uh, the firms that have more of a challenge are the ones that have multi-state offices and they've got you know 400 lawyers. Uh, to make sure that a lawyer in Alabama is not uh, taking one side of a case and then the lawyer in Mississippi from the same firm is taking the other side of the case. Uh, and maybe that becomes a little more challenging when not everybody's in the office. But uh, it's something that, that, that lawyers have to be really, really aware of. Um, now, but you, you, you and I, were, uh, in our communication before the show, we're talking about some of the, the things that have changed, like electronic notarization of signatures. I mean, it used to be, you had to be the notary had to watch you sign in order to, to notarize and, and has, how has that changed that's an interesting aspect because some of that came up before this again there, there are states that allow for electronic notarization uh, as long as the notary I think the consistent part will be the notary knows that the person is who they say they are and what they're signing. Um, but one of the things about full faith and credit where states recognize the laws and, and things of other states, if I have a document here and I send it to a notary in another state to have it notarized, 
would Mississippi recognize that? And I don't think that's gone to the courts yet, but I feel like they would. But Mississippi doesn't have that in and of itself. However, the governor has issued an executive order that has temporarily allowed that during COVID-19. And it only applies to the people who are notaries now. And they have to establish with the Secretary of State's office that they have the procedure set up, what they're using, how they're doing it. And I think that's helping a lot because there are, are times when you can't get close together, they can't even come into the office and you can get a document notarized. As long as the notary is convinced that that's who it is, that's the, that's the biggest key. Well, in fact, uh, my wife and I actually sold our home uh, at the end of March, believe it or not, a crazy time to be doing that. And we the closing was done. Uh, we actually signed the closing documents from our car. And then they were notarized in the lawyer's office because the lawyer knew me. Uh, and my wife. So, I mean, really, it, it, uh, you know, we could have never done that um, if, if, if we didn't have that uh, loose lessening of, loosening of the restriction on, on notaries. Um, you know, states like Florida even have um, permanent uh, statutes that allow notarization of wills, uh, or at least uh, you know, self-proving affidavits and signing of wills electronically. So they, there's an electronic will statute in, in Florida that they hope will allow people to, to create more wills. Do you think that'll ever come here? I think it will. I think eventually it, it will definitely move across to other states. I think Mississippi will do that as well. And I'm, I'm briefly familiar with that. And I think as long as the key points are still together, uh, I know in Mississippi you need at least two witnesses who know that the testator or the person making the will is signing that will as their will. And I think as long as that's still done, uh, even electronically, that will eventually be recognized. But it can't be done until the law here allows that. And uh, i got a feeling that it's going to happen within the next couple of years, hopefully. I know the, the elder law attorneys in, in Florida, when this will this uh, statute was passed, were worried about fraud against elderly clients. That you know there might be duress in the background, or somebody taking advantage of an elderly client. If it's done electronically, the lawyer and the uh, notary may not see that, or the witnesses may not see that. I mean, how do we how do we prevent fraud when everything's electronic? It seems like you know this is you know an opportunity. Uh, for people who are not uh, don't have good intent to to take advantage, um, how do we prevent that? That's that's one of the biggest, I guess, problems with the, the ease and the convenience of electronics. There's always someone else that can access it, and with the uh, right motive, will access it. Uh, it. It's just like anything else, you know. You, I guess, best you can. And talking about at least keeping your files protected is you have to lock your doors when you leave. You have to make sure you have security on your files. As far as back to the will scenario, the only thing I could think of is a lawyer would have to be vaguely familiar, more so, not vaguely, but more familiar with the situation and the testator than they might if, if they're there present to ensure that the signing is not under duress. Uh, so there, there's still problems that come up from every solution, it seems like. We're enjoying having Francis Springer on the show. I'll tell you how you can hear past shows when he's been our guest. Coming up next, this is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show in legalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows, or just find our podcast. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. We want to remind everyone that up at 11 a.m. is our Tuesday Southern Remedy show, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress. I think they're going to be talking about their moms and your mom and my mom. Frances Springer has been a guest on In Legal Terms a few times. Holiday Help was broadcast on December 17, 2019. On May 21st of 2019, we talked police stops with Attorney Springer. And then Francis also talked with us about the alcohol laws in Mississippi on July 17th. 2018. Today's guest, uh, uh, Francis Springer from the Springer Law Firm, is talking to us about Mississippi's legal system during the pandemic. Just to touch on, you know, we were mentioning about fraud. Um, if folks want some additional information on Money Talks, which is the show heard on MPB at 9 a.m. on Tuesdays. We had a previous episode talk about fraud. We had a guest from uh, MPB's Everyday Tech who talked about fraud. And then just yesterday, the Office of the Mississippi Secretary of State urges investors to beware of con artists seeking to capitalize on fear and uncertainty during the coronavirus pandemic. MPB, I know, has tweeted out and put on Facebook uh, a link to that uh, Secretary of State because I guess when there's panic, that's when some of the criminals come out to try to take advantage of us. Well, absolutely, Liz. And, uh, yeah, and, and so uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, that's a, it's an important issue for not just people dealing with law practice but also with, uh, with investments and other aspects of their lives. But, but Francis, you, you mentioned, um, you know, the, there's some things like the clerks of courts are open and, uh, and cases can be filed with them. But are there any, you know, you, you've talked about um, the alcohol laws on our show before and, uh, and liquor stores are one of the essential businesses that are allowed to be open. Um, are there any essential services of, of law that are allowed to be open during this time? Um, legal services is... Um and it's been a while since I've read the governor's order, but it's stuck in my mind, are an essential service. And uh, people, again, need access to the courts, and that is also going to be access to an attorney. So uh, though a lot of attorneys are working from home, I think they're still in contact with their clients, and if they have to meet, uh, that's an essential service that someone can, can go to the lawyer's office or wherever needs to be met. Uh, I don't think there would be any problem with that. There hasn't been that I know of. That's yeah, very important. I mean, it, you know, you, uh, you. One of the areas that you deal with is is uh, divorce. And uh, I mean, what what if a, a someone is in an abusive situation? I mean, what advice would you give them uh, if they're supposed to shelter in place, but but uh, they're in an abusive situation? 
that that is a a tough situation, obviously, because many times someone can leave and and still with the shelter in place order it's not that a mandate that you have to stay in your house there are just certain places that you can go legally and uh, i've not seen any prohibition against just taking a drive or something so if somebody needs to just get out of the house take a walk or a drive or whatever that's fine that's someone that's in the situation of receiving or being a victim of abuse they need to contact someone whether it be the police department sheriff's department or friend or or something they don't need to stay in that because what's going to probably happen in this regards that's going to get worse it's just going to keep growing until uh, something bad happens so really i wouldn't vary from life when it comes to those things if you need help seek help however you have to well, that's great advice. Uh, now, I know uh, you know a lot, some of your practice is civil practice, and and sometimes uh, lawyers and and their clients are able to settle those those kind of cases. Have you been had any success uh, settling things remotely? That's that's interesting. Also, uh, I have. We uh, usually in, in federal court, at least, there's what's known as a settlement conference that comes up before trial. The court's goal is to have everyone settle their own problems if they can. And the last thing that a, a client really wants is their matter settled either by a judge or a jury. Because as, as much as you try to bring everything out, there are always things that are missed. And if you can agree to it, you know what you're walking out the courtroom with. So back to the topic, the federal court tries to have settlement conferences and we've been able to do that. Those are usually in person, but uh, I've had one since this has happened telephonically, and we actually did get it uh, settled. So they uh, they can progress. So it was done in the federal court here, with the United States Magistrate Judge kind of leading the, the system through, and he did an excellent job of communicating with everybody over telephone, and uh, the case settled. It was a little surprising that it would settle, but it did. And I've got another one scheduled for this Friday, and we'll see how it goes. Well, good luck with that. I know this is definitely uh, a challenging time, and it's always it is always great to have you on the show. But one last one last thing is what what advice do you have for listeners who are dealing with legal issues, but they don't know where to turn at this time? Again, you know, I would say reach out to an attorney. Uh, a lot of people want to go to the court and, and have the court answer their questions. Uh, when I say the court, the clerk's office is usually who's going to be talked to. A clerk's office can't give legal advice, and a judge can't give legal advice. The judge has to be independent, so the judge can't tell a party or even two parties what the law is or what they need to do. So you really need to consult with an attorney as far as you can. A clerk can give procedural information, like how you file something, how much does it cost, there's a filing fee, those kind of things. But as far as actual answers to legal matters, they need to seek that from an attorney. And as far as I know, all attorneys are still available by telephone. I would say in the yellow pages, but I think that's gone. But pretty much by an Internet search, you can find an attorney that will deal with what you need dealt with. That's great. Are there, do you think there's other information online that, that people could uh, could look for? I know we got to get ready to go, Liz. I'm sorry. Well, we'll have we'll, yes, there is. we'll get some information from Francis and put it on this show's webpage. Francis Springer, thank you so much for being our guest today. 
That's gonna, Thank you, Liz and Professor Gerson. It's been great. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Jay White, for helping us out. And thank you, Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill, and we want you to join us next Tuesday for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.